to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heartsease Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. talk about a subject called, is it life or death? Is it life or death? And I want you to think really hard about that for a few moments. Is it life and death? And while you're thinking about that, let me please remind you about nine and nine. I, I love this time of the, of the year. We usually take one month out of the year and, and what we do for the whole month, we encourage everyone just for one minute in the morning and one minute at night at 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. just to join us in a corporate prayer. And the three areas that we're looking for you to pray in are as follows. The first one is for you. How many knows you've got a lot of needs? We want to pray for wisdom in your life. We want to pray for guidance. We want to pray for holiness, that God would just touch you. So pray for you. Second area is we want to pray for your family. If your family is not saved, we want to believe with you and pray that God would save your family, your parents, your kids, that God's blessing and favor would be upon your home. And the last but not least, we want to pray for your church which we think is a great church. We want to pray for souls. We want to pray for blessing. We're looking for God to move in a place that we will have financial blessings that we'll be able to move into a new location. Come on. And that we'll have our own custom-made building. And I'm really telling you, I believe that two minutes a day will change you, it will change your family, and it will change your church and your pastor. And everyone said... Please, Lord Jesus, if you haven't got a reason to pray for two minutes, you're looking at it right now. God, touch him. He's crazy. I got, I got an incredible text last night. You know, as pastors, when your phone goes off late on a Saturday night or something like that, you kind of get a little bit concerned and, and wonder what's going on. But I got a text last night. It said this, hey, pastor, just wanted to let you know. This was from Tina Fletcher. Hey, pastor, just wanted to let you know that Taylor received the MVP of the South All-Stars game. And he said he won it because he has been asking, asking God to bless his pastor and his family. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that is incredible. That he said, the reason I won this award, he told his mum, Taylor's I think a senior at school, and I mean a 17-year-old guy, he said the reason I won the award is not because I was the best player on the court. But the reason I won the award is because I've been praying for my pastor and his family. Isn't that incredible? And I'm telling you, I like texts like that. So you can keep sending them to me. Take those. But listen, make a commitment. I believe God's blessing is upon those that bless his house and the members of his house. So please, make a commitment at 9 and 9. And I know you cannot. How many believes that you are able to pray for at least two minutes a day? Come on, let me see your hand. I mean, it's not hard. It really is not hard. And so many times we think we've got to pray for an hour for God to hear us. 
When you're praying for you, your family, and your church and pastor, you can get an awful lot done and accomplished in a minute and have a very meaningful prayer. How many have been surprised how meaningful your prayer can be in one minute? You can have a meaningful prayer in that. So I I just believe that we're going to see God to do things. I want to say to you these words, get ready. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. Get ready. Come on, say it like you mean it. You know, like, get ready. I mean, come on, say it. Get ready. Get ready for what? Whatever God needs to do in your life, God's going to move. And as we pray together and realize that, we'll understand that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or a woman, James 5 verse 16 tells us, avails much. In other words, it works. Turn to your neighbor and say, it works. Prayer works. Okay, just two weeks ago, I was reading a passage in Luke chapter 24. If you want to turn there, we'll be there shortly. But in Luke chapter 24, I was reading a passage, and while reading it, something just jumped out of the page at me. I mean, jumped out of the page and hit me almost square between the eyes. Now, this is a story and a passage of the Bible that I'm sure I've read many times. I don't want to say hundreds of times because that's an exaggeration. But I've probably read it 20s or 30s or 40s of times. And I've read it a lot and and I've heard it preached and taught on. But something different jumped out. Have you ever read a scripture or a passage of the Bible and all of a sudden something new just hits you? It can be something that you know, like, the, like one of the most famous scriptures, for God so loved the world that he gave his... So many times we can just rally that off and not really mean, but sometimes we can just be reading and bam, something hits us new that we have never seen in a verse that we could repeat with our eyes closed. You know why that happens. Can I tell you today why that happens? Hebrews 4 and verse 12 tells us why. It says this, for the word of God is... Come on, you're awake today? Come on, I want you to wake up in the house today. I'm going to let you into a secret. The quieter you are, the longer I'll preach today. So come on, I said the Word of God is... Come on, you're about down to about an hour and a half right now. Come on, let's go. For the Word of God is... Living. Okay, you're about an hour and 29 minutes, so we'll just keep going. But the Bible says, for the Word of God is living and powerful. Living and powerful. You know what that means? It means that word of God is alive. It's alive for what reason? To give me life. It's alive to give each one of us here life. This is why it's so important, and I cannot stress it. We're talking about praying on the nines. But you know what? Why not say, I'll read my Bible on the nines for a minute or something too. Why? Because prayer... And the Word of God is so important. that As we read God's Word, we can literally connect with Him. That He can speak to us, that He can connect with our spirit. Look at the rest of the verse. And it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Some translation says it's like a surgeon's scalpel. It's able to cut away so finely and so minutely. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and the spirit, or joint or marrow. Listen to this. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. So what does that verse really mean for every one of us? Well, we know it's living. We know it's alive. We We know it's powerful. 
But here's what you've got to understand that's the importance of God's word also is this. It uncovers or exposes who you and I truly are. It uncovers the intents of our heart. It's a discerner of what we are. When you read the word of God, the instruction, the manual of life, it will be illuminated to you the wrong things that you are doing. Have you ever been convicted when you've read the word of God? I know I have. Been convicted as the living word spoke into my life and convicted me. Why? Because it is alive and powerful, but it illuminates any wrong, any sinful behavior, bad attitudes. Anyone got a bad attitude sometimes in the house? Come on. How about seven o'clock tomorrow morning? We'll have some bad attitudes in the house. Come on, Monday morning. Just be like me. Take Mondays off. I mean, isn't that fantastic? My Monday morning is Tuesday morning. No, I'm playing. I love waking up every day for a a new experience of life. But the Word of God will change your attitude. Look at your neighbor and say, please read the Word of God. You need your attitude changed big time. It motivates that which is within us. It, It reveals. But for what purpose? Why do you think God's Word wants to illuminate the bad attitudes, the sin, the things that are wrong in our lives. Why do you think God's word wants to discern those things and expose those things? Because God's word wants to change you too. God doesn't leave you hanging and feeling miserable and depressed. God just exposes those things so he can show you he's your answer. He's your hope. He's your peace that when we apply it to our lives, it will change us. So that's why we can read familiar passages of scripture and And still see the ability of God's word to be able to speak to us in different ways through the same passage. Because God's word is alive. Let's look at Luke chapter 24 if we can. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. And it says this. Now on the first day of the week, early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared. Let me just give you a quick background. Jesus has been crucified. He has been killed. Well, really, his life was not taken from him. His life was surrendered and given up for each one of us. Joseph went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and he was granted permission to take Jesus' body and was laid in a tomb that he had prepared for himself. The next day was the Sabbath day, so there was nothing done on the Sabbath. So they did not touch the body of Christ, but just laid it in a tomb. So now on the third day, Mark says that women came, that we're going to read of here in the Bible. And Luke says, or Mark says, that the women that came was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. But as we'll read here in Luke, it says certain women. So let's read on. It says this. But when they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, verse 2 of Luke 24, then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, the men said to them, why Do you seek the living amongst the dead or among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. Verse 5 says these words. He is not here, 
Well, verse 6 says he's not here, he's risen. But what does it say in verse 5? Why are you seeking the living amongst the dead? That's the passage I want to share for a few moments about today. It's why do we find ourselves looking for life in places or things of death? One translation says, why are you looking in a tomb, which is a place of death, for someone who is alive? Why do we look for life so many times in things that are dead? Looking for life in things and places that, as children of God, we have no business to even be, never mind be a part of. As you read through the Gospels, you will realize something, that Jesus came to this earth to bring new hope. He came to bring a promise of new life to mankind. Why? Because up to that time, outside of the Garden of Eden, man did not have that one-on-one fellowship with God. Sin separated mankind from God. Now God made another way, and that was through a priestly order. For what reason? That we would go to the priest, and then the priests would then what? They would go before God on our behalf. So up to that time, relationship with God was based upon rituals, laws, observing different methods and different means, having a priest to represent them before God. But Jesus showed up on the scene, and he said, I'm going to change all that. We're going to make a difference here. We're going to set things back how they were supposed to be. And he established the fact that we can now have relationship with him. Because of relationship with God, what does that really mean for us? That means there's interaction between us. You know what it's like to have a relationship with someone. You can't have a relationship with someone you never see or you never talk to or you're never around. That's not relationship. Because relationship is interaction for what purpose? To draw closer together or to find more about that person. I'm glad today that I can talk and Jesus hears. I'm glad that he can speak and that I can hear. Why? Because I'm glad that we can have relationship. As Bill said today, communion. Relationship, a personal encounter with him. And we know the scripture, John 10, verse 10, it says the thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, hold on a second, there's a reason that I've come. Jesus said that I've come that you may have life. I want you to think about that because we're looking for life in death. We're looking for life in things that perhaps Jesus is not even a part of. You see, if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know the life that I'm talking about. Do I have a witness in the house that knows the life that I'm talking about? That I used to be one way, but Jesus came in and now I'm changed. I didn't say I'm perfect. I didn't say I have it all together. But now I don't walk alone. I've got someone who's with me that's helping me through life and giving me life every day. That I can have a joy in place of my sorrow. That I can have peace when there's turmoil and everything is falling around me. I don't know how, but that happens as I place my life in Jesus Christ. I can have life in Him. You know one thing about that life? It goes beyond me. It's beyond me. 
Because if it was able, or if I was able to obtain it, Jesus would not have had to die to give it to me. But it's a life that's beyond us, but yet it's a life that can be experienced by all of us. But since receiving that life, remember that salvation experience. And if you haven't given your life to Christ, we're going to give you an opportunity to receive life today. That your life will never be the same. But after receiving that life, has it grown in abundance? Has the level of abundance taken over? I have come that you may have life and you may have it abundantly. Or have we started looking to someone or to something else? Instead of looking to life, have we looked to death? I know what some of you are thinking right now, and I don't have to read your mind. I just know because it's how I think too. I'm the same as you. Did you know that? I'm just like you. You can look and say, well, that's a little bit harsh, Pastor. I mean, I understand God and I understand church and I understand His Word. But come on, I mean, there's just some things. I mean, it's not like they're really harmful. It's not like they're really wrong. And Pastor, that's a little bit harsh that you said they're death. I wonder if it's harsh or if it's not harsh enough. Think about that. I don't think it's harsh enough because what good am I doing to you? Standing up here every week and telling you it's okay to do this and okay to do that if it's not okay for God's word. What justice am I doing you? You may like me today, but there's going to be a day for eternity that you're not going to like me. And you're going to be against me. But you see, we've got to realize that God wants to do great things in our lives. That God wants to do great things. You see, we can slice it, we can dice it, we can fillet it, we can take it any way we want, but life can never be found in death. Come on, stay with me today. We're up here. Life can never be found in death. I wonder if you're like many Christians today that wear the label, hi, I'm a Christian, but yet still want to live and be a part of everything else of the world. I'm preaching to you today. You say, I want Christ and I want his life and I want eternity and I want all these things. But yet you choose to go and look for life in everything else but the way of God. If that's you today, you're looking for life and death. I began this morning talking about God's word and I believe it's important that we know what God's word says about the situations that we find ourselves in. There is not one situation of life that you will not find the answer to it in God's word. Why? Because God's word is life and it speaks into your existence. So to try and base our lives or to build our lives upon anything else apart from God's word, to build ourselves on anything else apart from God's word, is building our lives upon a foundation that is going to set our lives up for disaster. Young people, you need to listen to me. Everyone in this place, you need to listen to me. 
You want to build your life on everything else? Well, as long as I've got great academics, as long as I'm good looking, as long as I'm a great athlete, as long as people like me, that's not a foundation to build your life upon because you're going to always find someone who's better than you. You're going to always find someone who's better looking than you. And I know you may find that hard to believe, but if you want to know, we'll show you someone better looking than you. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're looking at it right now. Come on. You're looking at it right now. There's always going to be, you see, so to build our lives upon a foundation, anything else than God, we're building our lives upon a foundation that's setting our lives up for disaster. We cannot live contrary to God's word and expect favorable results. There's no life in death. You know, perhaps you've seen those shows on TV. You know, we've all had shows on TV. and we've had, Stephen, can you come up here and help me today? I want you to lay up right here. Can you lay down there? Right up on the platform here. Give it up for Stephen as he comes up here, ladies and gentlemen. Here he is. Lay right down there. Come on, you've all seen these shows on TV. You know, whether it's a doctor that's shown up at the scene of an accident or it's in a hospital and all of a sudden they're coming over and they're getting the message, doctor, he's not doing good, his, his blood pressure is this, blah, 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 blah. Oh, he's coding, he's coding, he's coding. And what do they start doing? They start administering CPR. Okay? What are they doing? They're trying to put life back into a body that's dead. But have you ever noticed someone who gets so emotionally, you see it on the TV a lot, they get so emotionally inside of it that everyone's around them saying it's over. He's gone. Or she's gone. You can't do anything. And they literally grab their hands and pull them off. But no, they're pushing and they're fighting harder and harder and harder. You know what someone says? Sorry, Stephen, I hope I didn't hurt you there. Someone says these words. What do they say? You need to call it. Come on. I mean, is that not the words that they use? You need to call it. So what do they say? No, no, I'm going to. And they're pushing it harder and harder and harder. Because they can't accept the fact that what they are dealing with is dead. Call it, call it. No. And they fight and they fight. I wonder how many of us are holding on to things that are dead. But we need to start calling it. What do you mean call it, pastor? Call it for what it is. It's dead. Come on, are you getting me today? It's dead. Fight all you want. Try and make it laugh. What's another thing they do? I'm not going to do it. Oh, don't worry. He, he woke up. It's a miracle. He's alive. Thanks, man. But what do they do? They try to breathe life. I wonder if you, how many of you have got your mouth on something that's death, but you're trying with everything inside of you to breathe life. But you know what's happening? It's taking life from you. That's going into something. It's taking your energies and your times and you're so focused and you're focused. No, no, no. We've got to start calling it for what it is. Not what you want it to be. The God, God's word, the gospel message is very black and white. What do I mean by it's very black and white? It means it's very specific. It means what it is. It's not like we have made it. It's very clear on what's right and it's very clear on what's wrong. 
The problem is we have called it for everything else apart from what it really is. Well, it's not doing me really harm. Huh, call it for what it is. You see, we're the ones that have made the gray areas. It's very interesting to me, and that is this. Gray is just a shade of black. White can never be gray unless it's mixed with black. Life can never be death. They're so separate. But yet we try to live in the gray areas. The gray areas, I'm here to tell you today, are not life. The gray areas are just as much death as the black. It just means that we're being sucked in. And we're being deceived. And we're thinking that everything is okay. I want to give you a couple of examples if I can today. And I know there are so many, but I just want to give you a couple of examples today. How we can look for life and death. One of the biggest ones is perhaps in relationships. In relationships. This is a massive one where people look for life and death. They find someone and this person is the most incredible person in the world. So what do they do? They convict though, they convince themselves that they can change that other person. All they need is a positive involvement in their life. All they need is positive interaction to be in the right place and around the new, the right people, and then they'll become a new person. It's amazing how many people have come and asked for prayer or I've been involved with other circumstances or situations where I've heard people ask for prayer. When they come together and they say, listen, me and my boyfriend or me and my girlfriend or, or just this relationship on it, you know, it, it's just not working out. And they'll say these things, I need you to pray with me because we're just not getting along. I need you to pray for me because it just seems like we just fight all the time now. I need you to pray for me because it just seems like we just don't agree on anything. And as you begin to delve a little bit more and you ask a few questions, you can discover very important things many times. And one of the biggest things that you'll discover is this, that person is with someone they shouldn't be with. Let's be specific since God's word is black and white. They're with someone who's not saved. They're with someone who is not a believer. What are they doing? They are looking for life in death. God's word is very clear and his word makes it very plain that a follower of Christ should not be in that type of lifestyle with an unbeliever. Look at the Bible. It tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14 and 15, it says this, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Don't shout me down, but I'm going to take it one step further today, not meaning that God's word needs any help because I can't give it any help. It's perfect and it's truth on its own. But I have discovered this, that an unbeliever or unequally yoked is also possible with someone in the church. You need to find someone who loves God at least, at least as much as you do. But you need to find someone who loves God more than you do. Why? Because if not, you're going to be unequally yoked. 
There's a lot of struggles and people have today when they get married and they were brought up Baptist and then they were brought up Pentecostal. Oh, we can solve the problems. There's a lot of strife and I'm not saying Baptists are any less or more saved than Pentecostals. I'm not. But you've got to watch because we can find ourselves unequally yoked with people that we should not be a part of. So don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light? With darkness. Light with darkness. Life with death. Verse 15. And what accord has Christ with Belial? That's another name for Satan. So what accord or what union, what togetherness has Christ with Satan? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Jump to verse 17. Therefore, God says, come out from among them. Step out of the tomb. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. You know what was unclean in the word of God? Something that was dead. Come on, wasn't it? Something that was dead or something that was decayed or something that was diseased. Something that was impure. Read it in the Old Testament. Something that was dead, diseased, decayed or impure was something that was unclean. And if you touched that, you yourself were unclean for a period of seven days. Till purity would come. That was under the Old Covenant. But what does it say? Don't touch what is unclean and dead. And what does God say? And I will... Receive you. It's foolishness to ask God to bless something that He already clearly has directed us not to do. Oh, but Pastor, you don't understand. He's really cute. I mean, if you saw him, I mean, you would understand why I'd fallen for him, him or her. I know she's not saved, but they're really a good person and they've, they've got it all together. And you know what? They treat me. Just like I'm a queen. They open the door for me. I mean, we can't find people like that anymore, pastor. What did I say? Slice it, dice it, fillet it all you want. It's either death or it's life. I've even heard people say this. Pastor, they're everything I've ever prayed for. Here's my reply. Everything? Really? thought you said they weren't saved. You may not think that's important, but I think that's pretty important. I think, here, let me just give you some bonus, okay? This is just some bonus material. You know, that's like on the infomercials, and this is not it. There is more. If you, right now, you're going to get a, here's a bonus gift for you all. There's negotiable and non-negotiable. I've talked about this a lot before. When you're looking for a mate, when you're looking for someone to be in relationship with, you've got to understand this. There's things that are negotiable and things that are non-negotiable. You may turn around and say, man, I want someone who's tall, dark, and handsome. And you get someone who's blonde, scrawny, and puny. That's negotiable. Hello, that's negotiable. You can turn around and say, you know, I'm going to marry someone who's going to be just this absolute... You know, Kayla had to settle and change her things when she married Jimmy. I mean, She wanted a real man and she had to settle for Jimmy. I'm playing. Jimmy's an incredible guy and that's why I said that. 
But you may say, I want to marry someone with brown hair, and you end up with someone who's got blonde hair. That's negotiable. But there are things that are non-negotiable. Let me give you a couple. Number one, the most important, they've got to be saved. And not just saved, we're not looking for someone who's unequally yoked. We're looking for someone who is passionate about God. I mean, loving God, a leader in their church, someone who's standing up, someone who's serving in the house, someone who's paying their tithes, someone who's involved, someone who's got their hands up in worship with tears streaming down their face. I'm telling you, you're not going to go wrong if you find someone like that. That's non-negotiable. I think another thing that's non-negotiable is the fact of that they need to be a hard worker, not lazy, not a downright bum. I mean, there's other things that I think that you need to look for in your life. You need to look and say, non-negotiable is, I I can't have someone who's going to be abusive. Oh, but he just hit me. We were only dating and I made him mad. Listen, marriage is never a solver. Marriage is a magnifier. If it's done in relationship, it's not going to change in marriage. It's just going to get worse. Because now you're his or she's yours. And that ownership mentality begins to take things into a new realm. Come on, this is a bonus for you today. I'm telling you right now, there are things that are negotiable and non-negotiable that you better start waking up and realizing. Why? Because if not, you're looking for life and death. You're looking in a tomb. And you'll never find what you're looking for in a tomb. To go against God's will for your life. His revealed will for your life, written in plain sight right here. You want to know the will of God for your life? Read it. Can only produce pain and discomfort in our lives because you'll be looking for life and death and you'll never find life in something that's dead. It may at first appear to be harmless, but that's how Satan baits us in. We'll be finding ourselves looking for love in all the wrong places. God doesn't need your help. He needs your obedience. What do you mean by that, Pastor? God doesn't need your help. So many times we stress and strain so much about relationships and who we've got. It feels like we've got to go out and find them. Why not believe that God's going to bring them to you? Why not believe instead of going out and giving God your help that you can just give God your obedience? And just to do and be what God has called you to be and watch as God opens up opportunities and blessings. And to obey his word produces blessings upon your life. If you don't believe me, read Deuteronomy chapter 28. But don't just stop at the blessings. It goes on to talk about curses for those who disobey the word of God. But God's word says you'll be blessed in the city. You'll be blessed in the field. You'll be blessed when you come. You'll be blessed when you go. Your fruit of your land will be blessed. Come on, the enemy will come before you one way and he'll flee before you. You'll be the head and not the tail. You'll be above and not beneath. You'll be the lender and not the borrower. That's those who don't help God. That's those who obey God. Don't look for life in death. Because the Bible says these words. What did Samuel say to Saul? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Here's another example. We look for life and death so often in our finances. In our finances. Many people want financial breakthroughs. They want miracles. They're snowed down with bills. They don't know which way to turn. Credit card debt. All these things. 
Most people are in that situation for two reasons. First is this, wrong choices, bad choices. And really the second is just like the first because here's the second reason they're like this. They don't put God first, which is a choice too. It's a choice too. Matthew 6 verse 33 says these words, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. What things? All those things. Everything that you can need. In fact, Matthew 6, if you would read it before, it talks about don't worry, just trust God. That's what it talks about. That, you know, the lily of the fields, they don't toil, but Solomon in all his glory was not paraded like them. What about the sparrows? They don't have to worry about what they eat. Cannot the Father feed them? And it goes on to speak about how much more will your Father take care of you than the sparrows? And what does it say? But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Put God first in everything you do, before your concerns, before your worries, before anxieties, before everything. Put God first. And what does he say? And it will be added. It doesn't say multiply, or it doesn't say um, taken away, subtracted, minus. But it says it will be added to you. Come on, say with me, God first. Pastor, if only I can just get that promotion. I mean, if only I could get a better job. If only my ex would start paying child support like he should. If only I could just get my bonus. If only, if only, if only, if only, if only, if only, if only. Then... I'll be able to make it. Then I'll be able to pay my bills. Then I'll be able to get out of the problems. I mean, then I'll maybe even have some left to pay my tithes and give to God. If that's your mentality, I'm telling you right now, you are looking for life in death. You'll never find blessing if you're not putting God first. Come on, this is not just an excuse for me to preach on giving again. This is a reason for me to preach on a truth that will change your life because it's God's word. It's God's word. And I'm here to tell you, I'm living proof today. Do I have a witness in the house? It works. You put God first and he'll take care. Come on, you build his house. He says, you build my house. I'll build your house. Put God first. You've got to give God his portion first. You know, here's the deal. I don't know exactly how it works. I don't understand it completely. But I know it does work. Because here's the battle we have in the natural. If I've got $10 and the bill that I have to pay is 11 I already don't have enough. But if I give God $1, which is my tithe, 10%, that leaves me with how much? Now what's happened, the debt I have or the difference is now what? It's greater. But you see, here's what you've got to understand. We think of one as one. If I give one, I've lost one. But you've got to understand who we're given to. You see, that one is not just one. We're sowing a seed. Come on, you've got to start getting this. We're sowing a seed. When a little boy came with a sack lunch with, what, five loaves and two fishes, and there was 20-something thousand people there. He's looking at it and saying, I mean, most of us would have turned around and said, let's not even bother Jesus with that. 
I mean, what can that do? That couldn't even feed a man. Never mind 20,000 plus people. But what happened? Exactly what will happen when you put God first. You may not think you've got enough, but let me tell you something. You serve a God who supernaturally can take one and can take five loaves and two fishes that can put it in his hands, that can begin to multiply it, that there's going to be enough left over. For what reason? Not so you can go home and open a second bank account and buy a bigger car and a house, but so what can you do? You can start sowing it into other people and you can can start blessing other people because you have been blessed for what reason to be a blesser and to give to those around you see natural or supernatural I can look in the natural but if I'm looking in the natural I'm looking in death but when I start looking to God the supernatural I'm looking to life What does the word say? Well, let's look. What does life say? Malachi 3 verse 10 says this. What? Put me to the test. God says, try me now in this. How? Put me first. Pay your tithes. What does he go on to say? And see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. You see, what you sow is just a seed. It's just a key that unlocks the blessing and the provision and the anointing of God upon your life. Oh, when I have any opportunity, when I have enough, pastor, you'll never have enough. It's when you give. Because God can only use someone that has a hand out. Extended. Why? Because if you only have an inlet and no outlet, you're going to stink. But as it flows through you, God will get it to you. If he can get it through you. God will get it to you if he knows it can go through you. For I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Abundance, as I said, for a seed to sow into others. Verse 11, and I will rebuke the devourer. Man, that is absolutely incredible. I mean, I get excited every time I read that because I need that old devil rebuked in my life. I need the circumstances and situations that are perhaps already waiting for me tomorrow. I need God to begin to take care of those things. Come on, he said, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy. Come on, devil, you can't destroy. I'm putting God first in my life. I'm not looking for life and death. It's dead. It's black. It's gone. It's over. Call it for what it is. Stupidity. Ignorance. You're dumb and you're foolish. And you can quote me on that. Because yes, I did say that. Because you're looking for death or life in death. And all you'll find is death. So that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. We put everything before God, looking for life and death, affecting every part of our lives. The way we give will affect our marriages. The way we give will affect our families, our homes, our hearts, our future, our health, everything. Why? Because if we're looking for life and death, it doesn't only affect us. It affects those around. 
Putting God first is a principle from God's word. To fail to do so is looking for life and death. Waiting for something to happen, listen to me, that will never happen. I could go on and on today and I realize that time is gone. But I wonder how many people today are looking for life in a bottle. A bottle filled with perhaps pills. A bottle filled perhaps with liquid. As you're looking for life in alcohol and drugs. You've got to call it for what it is. You're not going to find the type of life that you need. You're never going to find the life of abundance that Jesus... You're just going to find that old devil and that steal, kill and destroy. Perhaps you're looking for life and popularity and fame. Well, if I could just be this and if I could just, if I could just get my name in lights, if only I could do this. You know, there's a young lady that I know personally, her and her family. They travel America and sing. They're a Christian um, trio or, and they travel all around America. She just tried out recently for American Idol and she made it into the, the group stage. But if you notice, you never have seen her on any of the shows. She didn't make it into the final 24. And I texted him. I said, I thought Amber was going to be on here. I, I, I guess I may have missed her. I didn't watch every show and I didn't see her all. Maybe I missed her. He says, no, you didn't miss her. He said she made it through and they told her that she had the talent. But J-Lo told her that you need to dress a whole lot sexier. And J-Lo said, if you want to make it, you've got to start singing this kind of song and that kind of song. And she looked at her and said, listen, that compromises what I stand for. And that young girl walked away from that competition. You may turn around and say, well, she's an idiot to do that. No, she was looking for life and death. You've got to call things for what they are. There's things, there's places, there's involvements that we as children of God have no business to be in. It's not because we're better than anyone else, because we're all sinners, but we're just saved by grace. We've got to ask God to give us the wisdom and guidance. If I could just get my names in light, and then I could be a greater witness, and I could, you know what, perhaps yes, but maybe no. There's a lot of people who have wanted fame and popularity and promised God a whole lot of things and ended up living a life of death and never coming through with life. Maybe you're cheating, maybe you're lying, Maybe you've got such lack of integrity in your life. You're, de- you're dece- deceiving people. What are you doing? You're looking for life and death. You're not going to find it cheating. Young people, it, it doesn't pay to cheat. Cheaters never prosper. You may say, oh, well, I got an A on this test. You know what? The Bible says what's done in the dark is going to be brought to the light. may not today. But guess what happens when they spring a test on you you didn't know was coming and you hadn't studied for the last one because you cheated and failed on that and all of a sudden you realize you're going to bomb. Give you a quick story. John Norman. A lot of you know John Norman. Went to Bible college. Of all places to cheat, he went to Bible college and cheated. Can you believe that? He would call his dad up and he said, Dad, I've got a paper on this. Will you write it for me? His dad was an incredible scholar. And, and the reason, and I'm not justifying his actions, but the reason he did that, the, the young guy worked all night, I think four or five nights a week to pay for his school. So he would be up at a gas station um, from like eight at night to almost five in the morning and then have to be up at school about nine and go through. And he, he did that constantly. And um, a lot of the times he just didn't have the time. But he made a mistake one time, and that was to hand in a paper that he didn't even read. So the, 
the professor called him in and said, this is the most incredible paper I've ever read. And John's like smiling. He's like, yeah. I mean, what can I say? And the guy said, I've got some questions, though. You know, I've never seen this word before. Maybe you could help me and maybe you could tell me what this word means. And his dad had used these longest, most incredible words that John Norman didn't even have a clue that there were even such words. And the professor was asking, so tell me what that means. So John's looking at it and he's like, pff, pff, pff. and finally the professor, he knew he hadn't written. And finally he said to him, you didn't write this, did you? And he says, no. He said, well, tell your dad he did a great job. But I wonder how many times we just think that we can get by and we can go through. Be sure your sins will find you out. We've got to call it for what it is. It's all looking for life in a tomb. There's only life in one, and Jesus is the giver of life. I'm going to read one more scripture, and then I'm going to shut up, I promise, this morning. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11 through, what did I go, 11 through 20. Follow with me today. For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over to the sea and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. In other words, what we're going to hear about in a few moments, it's not out of reach for many of us. It's obtainable for all of us. Verse 14, but the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. Verse 15, see, I've set before you today good or life and good, death and evil. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandment, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land in which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away, so that you do not hear and you are drawn away and you begin to worship other gods and serve them. Verse 18, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. In other words, the promised land. Verse 19, I call heaven and earth as a witness today against you that I have set before you life and death. What does that mean? Every day there's life and death, decisions, situations, people, places that is set before us every day. Set before us every day. And he says to these words, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life. Come on, I mean, it's pretty ignorant if God says, I've set before you two choices, and God even tells us the choice to take. I mean, it's pretty ignorant if we turn around and say, oh, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know. God says, I would that you would choose life, that you, both you and your descendants may live. Hold on a second, that, that brings things into a new realm right here. I'm not only bringing death upon myself, it's my family. It's my children, it's the next generation's parents. You need to see this. Young people, you need to see this because you're making decisions today that may affect your children before they're even born, before you're even married, before you've even considered being in a relationship. Verse 20, that you may love the Lord your God and you may obey his voice and that you may cling to him for he is your life and the length of your days 
and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them. What did we just see in verse 20 right there? That with the choice for life and death, but what does he tell us? If you choose life, here's what you do. Love the Lord. Number two, you obey his voice. Number three, you cling to him. That means you grab a hold of him and you don't take anything else. Number four, you realize something. He's life. I said, he's life. There is no other life except him. And number five, you live, you dwell, you remain in that place that he has prepared for you. The promise that he has. So here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to ask yourself. Anything and everything you do, young person, older person, everyone in between, ask yourself this question. When you go to do something, it may be sign a note on a new car. It may be a business deal. It may be a test that you're signing and saying, I've filled out all the information and it's correct. Whatever it may be, ask yourself this question. Is it life? Or is it death? Is this going to be life for me? Or is this going to be death for me? And if there's any uncertainty, if there's any confusion, run for your life. Because it's death. Because it's gray. And gray is always a shadow or a shade of black. It's not a part of white. Which is life. It may seem right, it may fit your desires, appetites, appeal to the flesh, but it's a pathway to death. Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end thereof is death. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At HeartSeas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.